So good evening, everyone. We are in a discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami, and we're going over his 47th Anucheda in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, dealing with the name, form, actions, and attributes of the Supreme and the fact that they are all transcendental without any tinge of material gunas. So this Anucheda is extremely long, as I explained, and it's been broken down by the presenter in his book, Babaji Sachin Das, uh, into different sections. So we're still dealing with the first check section. So in the last Anucheda, it was established that Bhagawan's form was not material. We will now discuss how other features related to him are similarly not material. So that's the basic context of this 47th Anucheda is Jiva Goswami has uh, provided uh, discussion so that we arrive at the uh, understanding that the Lord's form uh, is not material. Now he's elaborating further, showing us that other things relative to the Supreme Absolute, personality of Godhead, Bhagavan, are also not material. As his first praman, he quoted a verse from Gajendra, wherein Gajendra said, just that much, that the Lord's birth, action, name, form, virtues, or vices, that the Bhagavan has none of these. However, and there's a however, for the purpose of creating and destroying this material world, he accepts these perpetually by his internal potency. Well, to accept something would mean that it becomes part of your nature one would think. So Jiva is now in the process of showing that really this, although Gajendra said this, you need to, you need to look carefully at exactly how he said it, the words he used to say, to say it, how they need to be viewed in context of transcendental knowledge. So we kind of touched upon that context if somebody's in India and he he writes to a friend back home in Italy and says that there's nothing to eat here, what he's saying is not that everybody is starving in India. Rather, he's saying there's nothing for me to eat here that I like. That's what he's saying. Because he's also eating but he's not eating pasta and bread. He's accustomed to that, so there's nothing for him to eat here. So there's nothing to eat here, is, his, is the common saying. Or the other analogy that was provided so that we can put things in context is the captain of a ship on the sea says to his, his crew, We're, we've run out of water. It's on a ship, he's in an ocean, there's water everywhere around them. 
So we have to look at the context. So similarly, Jeeva is saying, when we look at this verse, Gajendra is saying this, now let's put it in the proper context so that we can understand exactly what he means when he says that the Lord accepts perpetually by his internal potency name, form, qualities um, for creating and destroying the world. So we went over a lot of this, about half of the of the evidences and the discussion. So we're going to continue where we left off from the last class. And now there's other evidences presented. <clears throat> uh, first from the Korma Parada. Because the Lord is endowed with his supreme magnificence, he is called Virudartha, or one who has cat contradictory qualities. But although all opposing qualities exist in him, one should never assume him to have defects. All the virtues, even contradictory ones, exist in him. So now we're bringing out more one section of the verse where we're saying that the Lord took on qualities in order to create and destroy a universe, that he takes on qualities. Because the first half of Gajendra's verse is the Lord has none of these. Then the second half, he says, but he takes them. He, he takes them upon himself. So that's a contradiction to have none and then to also have all of them. How do we, how do we look at this within this one verse? So we could say that it, it's a, it, these appear to be in, in, contra, in contradiction to each other. Now, Jiva now quotes another verse from the Upanishads, a mantra. This one is said to be the goal of all attractive things, samyad vama, because all attractive objects proceed towards him. He is certainly the most attractive. This one is the bestower of the fruits of all virtuous acts. This one alone is called the bestower of all luster. This one shines in all the Vedas. Intuiting, this is Jiva's comment now, intuiting that the simultaneous existence and non-existence of the Lord's qualities, births, birth and actions would be thought contradictory Gajendra provides the reason for their congruency in the phrase, by his internal potency. Swamayaya. The only cause for this is his internal potency, which surpasses, surpasses all logic and can be understood only by means of presumption. So, let's break this down. An objection. In the first half of the verse, Gajendra says the Lord has no attributes or defects, guna dosa, 
the defects, gunadosa. Uh, but in the second half he says, anukulam richiti, implying that he accepts them perpetually. Anakulya, all the time, continuous, like devotional service should be. Right? That's one same verb used by Rupa Goswami. Anokuyam, Anokuya. Uninterrupted. The import is that because the import is because Bhagavan's actions of birth and so on spring from his essential nature and are thus diametrically opposed to the material counterparts. One cannot say that these names, actions, and so on do not exist in him. So Jeeva's pointing out, you can't look at the qualities, the gunas of the Lord, because guna can also mean quality. So the guna dosha, Guna dosha means that they're defects. The jiva, in relationship with the material modes of nature, he's affected by the defects of guna dosha. The, those material modes affect the jiva adversely. So they're not an ornament. They're a hindrance, even if they're in the mode of goodness, there, there's, there's nothing good to be had there, because it's temporary. And even the the best mode of goodness activity or item has a tinge of ignorance and a tinge of passion. None of these modes are pure within the material realm. They're always mixed a little bit. There can be a predominance of one mode over the other, but they're not pure manifestations. There's not pure ignorance. Even in the worst of ignorance, there's a little bit of goodness, a little bit of passion, and even the best of the best sattva there's a little bit of ignorance and a little bit of passion. And even if you're the most passionate situation or a passionate, passionate manifestation within the material universe, there's a little bit of ignorance and a little bit of goodness there. So all the modes, when looked at from the transcendent side, are guna dosa. They're all defects. Because why? Because they're the imposition on the true nature of the self. They're the modes of material nature. And one must what? Rise above the modes. That includes goodness and passion and ignorance. So what Jeeva is saying here is, but in the case of Bhagavan, the gunas are all part of his internal sarup shakti. They're all good. So the 
you can't look at his qualities the way you look at material qualities. Then Jiva goes on to quote Sankaracharya. What's Jiva doing quoting Sankaracharya? But here he is. He's taking Sankaracharya's Bhashya, his commentary on Vedanta Sutra. And he's quoting the following. Because in common parlance, sat, existing, is used to indicate objects that have names and forms, Brahman, which certainly existed before creation, is said to be a sat, non-existent. In the Shruti, due to not having manifest names and forms. This technical approach, Jiva's going to carry a little bit more as we proceed through this explanation of these attributes of the Lord so that we can see it in the context of everything that's transcendental has no tinge of material materiality material I'm saying material materiality thanks so i.e. the word asat or non-existent should not be taken in the absolute sense because it does exist but as a denier of popular names and forms. So what what Jiva is saying is, this is what Sankracharya means. He means what he says here. He's referring to transcendental versus material. So when he says the supreme Brahman, or whatever nomenclature you would use according to your method of worship, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate, Sankaracharya himself likes the, you know, Brahmati. But no matter how you look at the Supreme, it's a sat. A sat. It has, you cannot ascribe to it a name and a form. That fits in perfectly with his philosophy. But he doesn't mean that the Supreme Brahman doesn't exist. He means the Supreme exists without mundane name or form. The explanation continues. From the Vishnu Purana, O sage, he is beyond qualities and defects. And he is the embodiment of all auspicious qualities. And the word Bhagavan means knowledge, sensory power, bodily strength, controlling power, inconceivable power, and effulgence or beauty, devoid of any repellent qualities. Now he brings up another praman or another evidence from the Padma Purana. When the Lord of the cosmos is said in the scriptures to be devoid of qualities, near Guna, 
It means that he has no profound material quality. I'm sorry, profane material qualities. So the Lord has fragrance, but it's always sweet. The meaning of the phrase by his maya, swamayaya, in the principal verse should not be taken to mean anything other than his internal potency, Sarup Shakti. Also in relationship to his Leela, sometimes he does accept a material form. He looks like one of us. They even made a song about it. What if he did? <laughs> So, the import here is really the phrase swamayaya, his internal potency. That is how these things happen. So, in the, in the, the initial verse being quoted by Gajendra, uh, this use... I said these are long anachases. The use of this terminology, richity, he accepts, can't be taken conventionally. He accepts them by his internal potency, he accepts these qualities. It's not taken in a literal sense. They are part of the intrinsic nature of his Swarup, his Shakti. So he does, when he appears in a human-like form, have a name, have a form, have a location. He has a family. He has, he has everything that any one of us would have. But his acceptance of that is not like our acceptance of that is the point that Jeeva's making here. They're not material. Any of these attributes of the Supreme are not material. What's another evidence? If they were, how could they attract Sugade Goswami, who is a Jeevan Mukta? He wouldn't have been attracted to listen to the Leela of the Bhagavatam in relationship to the Supreme if there are any material qualities there, he'd already risen above the qualities of material nature. They had no power over him anymore. Evidence? Let's look to the to the next to the last chapter of the Bhagavatam itself. I bow down to the son of Vyas. This is Sutta Goswami. Who, though fully situated in his own bliss. So we, as a Jeevan Mukta has his own bliss. We have our own bliss. We are particles of the Supreme and we have the same qualities as him in a very minute. Now if we could get to our essence, our sara, the essence of who we are spiritually, we have our own built-in Ananda. 
It's there. Satchitananda. That's the nature of the self. That's the nature of being. We exist. We're cognitive of our existence. And we are we are Ananda. There is pleasure in existing and in knowing about it. Where's, well, then where's all this displeasure coming from in our existence? It's coming from the fact that we don't know. First of all, we don't know that in reality. We don't recognize that because we have taken on an attraction through false identification with the gunas of material nature. Now, Sukadev Goswami he rose above that. Any jiva can rise above that through knowledge, through enlightenment, through meditation. That doesn't take them to the topmost platform of spiritual revelation in our estimation as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, but there is a group of transcendentalists which are, who are perfectly content to be content in themselves. They don't need, they don't really need nor want any outside influence. Some of them have a misconception that any influence outside themselves is Maya. That's a misconception. Those transcendentalists are classified as the, in the Mayavadi group. They think any qualities have to be material qualities. Maya. Anything that's not their essence or the essence of existence is that quality means guna. It means material. It means Maya. So there can be. So that's the Mayavad class. But there's also the Brahmavad class. And they have the proper conception. They have the proper conception regarding the Absolute. But they're attracted to the self-satisfaction side. Not the side of, of satisfaction of the higher aspects of transcendence, specifically Bhagavan. So this verse from the Bhagavatam, I bow down to the son of Vyas, Sutta Goswami speaking at the end of the narration, who, though fully situated in his own bliss and consequently completely free from any conception of duality, became attracted in his very essence by the enchanting pastimes of the invincible Sri Krishna. Then, out of compassion for all, he expanded the Lord's own Purana, which spreads the light of supreme truth and destroys all sin. Some more quotes in support of the concept Jiva is putting forth. The eternal Sri Vishnu is called Maya Maya or the possessor of Maya, because he is ununited with his external energy called Maya as part of his essential nature. It doesn't mean he's in Maya. 
it means Maya's in him. In fact, everything's in him. So any manifestation of either his internal or his what we call external potency, to him, it's all his potency. We're the, it's on our side where we have to distinguish and make distinction between this and that. But the non-dual absolute, vanati tat tat vavidas tat janam advayam, this non-dual absolute, which is his total existence and can be looked at differently as Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan, from that perspective, Maya is not inside or outside. Maya is simply a potency of the Supreme. Atma Maya means his will. The, the Maya of the Atma and the Atma of all is Bhagavan. Those who know the essential meaning of words say that Maya means material nature. The three gunas, knowledge, and the energy of Sri Vishnu. Again, we come to the world, the world of the words within Sanskrit, and it makes all the difference. the 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 quality of this language is such that expert knowers of the truth can take a sloka or a mantra and give hundreds, if not thousands of meanings based on their revelation, their personal revelation. So when asked about the Atmarama verse, Atmaramas Chamunayo, Sri Chaitanya, he gave 64, he just rattled off, well, it could mean this, it means, he didn't say it could mean, he said it does mean this, and it mean, or it can mean, not or, it does mean this, and it does mean this. And from this angle, it does mean that. And from that angle, it does mean this. And here's... So when asked again, I heard you gave all these definitions to the Matmarama verse. Could you repeat those for me? Uh, I don't remember what I said, but I'll give you a, a set of definitions. And he did it again. A s definitions of the Matmarama verse. So the, the beauty of the... Sanskrit language. So what's being said here is those people that know that know what's being said when in the Shastra it says Maya, they use these primary definitions. The material nature, that's the one we're kind of used to, Maya. But it also means the three gunas, it also means knowledge and it means the energy of Sri Vishnu. Or in this particular context of the verse from Jigendra Swamaya, yeah. my Maya. Moving on, more evidence. Sri Nardamuni said, We approach the Supreme Lord who is pure consciousness personified, whose goals are automatically accomplished by virtue of his being situated in his own existence, whose desires are always fulfilled, and by whose prowess the flow of the three gunas of Maya is never dispelled from him. 
any other explanation, this is going back to Jiva, any other explanation of the word Maya would negate the earlier statements and contradict the transcendental experience of the speaker of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sukadev, who had been immersed in transcendental bliss. So Swamayaya always means by his chit or conscious potency. Therefore, Sridhar Swami has also explained the word Yogamaya as chit or conscious potency. Bhavartha Dipika 3.15.26 In other words, Bhavartha Dipika is Sridhar Swami's commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam. And he's made this comment that Jiva is using regarding Yogamaya always referring to the chit potency of the Supreme. Chit potency being what? His cognition, his conscious potency, the nature of consciousness. How would you like a doubt? A doubt is raised. Jiva likes to bring forth doubts and dispel them. The word richity, also in the verse by Gajendra, he attains, implies that the Lord's qualities are temporary. Makes sense. He attains these qualities, which he doesn't have. In answer, the verse says, Anukuyam. He attains them perpetually meaning that he is never bereft of them. It should be understood that there is a relationship of cause and effect between the actions manifested by the internal energy and their eternal nature. What's being relayed here? Ana, Anu Kalam, it's a long name, Anu Kalam, Anu Kuyam is what we're used to, meaning all existing, it, this term richity, he's attains means they're part of his intrinsic nature. It's not that it was anything that he acquired from outside himself. Although it is said that the Lord accepts birth, and so on, which would imply that they are temporary, the verse counters. He accepts them perpetually, anukalam. And the present tense, richity, implies eternality. He accepts them all the time. They're always part of his nature. Again, an understanding of exactly what the contextual relationships of the words that Gajendra is using mean so that they can be understood properly. The phrase... Anukalam Richiti indicates that they indicates that they are manifestations of his Swarup Shakti. The Supreme Lord Bhagavan has intrinsic policies that always reside within him. Um, there is nothing that can restrict his will, and therefore he eternally performs pastimes. Next section of the same Anucheda. Another doubt is raised. Understand this is just one big Anucheda. We've just 
broken it down so we can kind of go through. So now we come to another doubt. How can anyone's birth and actions be eternal? Both are actions. And every action consists of various parts. Beginning, middle, and an end. Each having a beginning and an end. Otherwise it could not be designated as an action. So how can we look at birth in relationship to the Supreme Bhagavan as or any of his actions, any of his pastimes as Leela, how could any of those be viewed as eternal? Eternal means ever existing. Birth haps, happens at a point in time and then the birth's over. It's not like you're born you know, at a certain point you're born and then the cords cut and you become the baby so how can you say that that the Lord's that this is when applied to the supreme absolute truth is is eternal there's no eternal action that we know of well why would Jiva even bring this up be the question. I mean, it seems self-defeating. What do we call this? Stuta stuna nikanana nyaya. Stuna nikanana yaya. We need to learn it because we hear it all the time. What's it mean? He's pounding the post. It's a type of logic. So, stuna, nikanana, nikanana, nyaya. Or the principle of driving a post. So a philosophical conclusion, Siddhanta, is strengthened by supplying more and more supporting arguments until no reasonable doubt remains. This is Jiva's method of teaching. There, there cannot be any room for a doubt. And if we can think of a doubt, let's bring it up and let's deal with it. Let's not just push it aside. That's not the way of... of of transcendental inquiry. That's not the way of progressive thought in the world of man or in the world of the transcendentalist. If you have a doubt, come before the guru and let's deal with it. Let's not say, and I notice this in Facebook sometimes, devotees will go up there and there'll be some, some debate back and forth and then one side will say, well, it's just beyond logic and reason. It's a doxija. You can't understand it. Do we find that in any of the any of the Shastra that you've read? Have you come across that argument? It's beyond your comprehension? I can't put it in words that you can understand? No. Jiva Goswami gets into some pretty thick philosophy here. 
Does he ever say, well, you just can't understand it because you've got a puny brain and you're a human? No. He breaks it down methodically and he teaches a siddhanta, a conclusion based on scripture as the primary praman. There's also other pramans, but he said when when it comes to evidences, it all has to be scripturally verifiable. And we know that there's a lot involved in scriptural verification. It's not just that you can quote a verse. You can quote a verse, and a Brahmavadi can, can quote a verse, and he has his logic to show you that the Supreme is Brahman, and you have your logic to show no in the ultimate issue, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. No, he says, no, it's Tattvamasi, you are Brahman. No, and you could go back and forth. Scripture's used on both sides. And you come to a conclusion, or you a conclusion that's mutually acceptable, or at least you have enough respect to say, well, I think my weight, my evidence outweighs yours. And you say, well, it doesn't. <laughs> but it's okay. Because the absolute a goal is really knowledge, not simply to defeat your opponent. That way, there's always, you know, in true discord, Vada discord, Jiva Goswami says there's different dis- types of discourse. So in the Vada type of discourse, there's the desire to arrive at the best knowledge. Satam kirtayantobam. Devotees love to have this discourse. So Jeeva's bringing up this point now. Well, he said the Supreme has birth. Or there's actions in his manifestations. He does things but you're saying that he's eternal and that that there is no birth in him. Stuta Nikanana Yaya Answer This is not an issue since within the Lord This is Jiva's simple answer This is not an issue for in the Lord there are eternally unlimited forms unlimited Prakash manifestations Unlimited pastimes of birth and other activities. They never end. The Lord is perpetually born. He's perpetually a youth. He, he, there's no, his Leela goes on continuously from our perspective. When looking at the sun, the sun rises in the morning one time. No. If you have a wider perspective, if you can use logic, if you can use reason, the sun is always rising. The sun, there's never a moment at any time the sun is not rising. Somewhere. Somewhere. And if you're flying in an airplane, you can see that actually. Mm-hmm. You're going west. And... So the sun is always rising. 
The moon is always full. It's always full. If you have if you have the perspective to see it. There's never a time that the moon's not full. There's never a time that the sun isn't rising. There's never a time that the Lord is not manifesting birth. He's continually manifesting birth. And in, in manifesting his Leela, in manifesting himself, he has the constituents that allow the Leela to exist. He has his forms, which are unlimited, his Prakash manifestations. He has unlimited modes, both in the material and the spiritual worlds, to perform his pastimes. And he has unlimited associates. Pastime, beginning and end parts, of one particular form may or may not have have ended in one place in a particular prakash. So we hear, and this just this goes to emphasize the fact that there's just not one one uh, reel, and it's like frames, and it goes to the next frame, and then there's another manifestation. That's not what we learned regarding the Prakash manifestations of Krishna as evidenced by the statements of Narada Muni. There were different Prakash manifestations, but what? They were doing different things according to the environment. So, according to the mood of this of the children in that one palace or the wife in the palace or the servants in the palace he was performing different activities so it's when we say the lord is always taking birth he's always taking birth but it's it's not like the birth switches off here and then starts there and switches off there so that's what jesus saying these are perpetually going on, but they're not in a sequence. So we need to see it in perspective, and for the proper perspective, again, go back to what Narda said about his revelation of Krishna's palace pastimes with the queens in Dwarka. Bhagavan's birth and actions never cease beginning and ending. They exist in him eternally. He's always, he has no duty to perform, first of all, but he's always, always continually manifesting these pastimes in order to, in order to exchange loving affairs with his devotees. So he's not that he's bound by these actions. I must take a birth, I must be a child, I must take care of the calves, now I must take care of the cows, now I must lift Govardhan Hill. No. Yeah, it's time to lift Govardhan Hill. It's not like that. They're perpetually going on. It's a perpetual Leela. It's perpetual. The Leela even enters your mind at a certain stage in your advancement and devotional service the Leela will be going on and you'll have a private showing. 
And then you'll be able to see it firsthand. Then you'll be able to enter into it. So the meditation of Krishna's devotees is, is, goes on like this. The Lord is there. You can't separate the meditation. You can't separate the Lord from the devotee. They're always tied by the bond of love. So these leelas are always going on. Perpetually. Somewhere. We'll end with a couple things. Because of differences in their activities, there could also be a difference in the sense of identity. Abhimana. Of the different Prakash manifestations that perform them. Now, you can think about this for a while. Because of the different activities, the environment of the Leela, the Lord himself has a different sense of identity, Abhimana. How, how does the Lord develop that sense of identity? If you think deeply about it. The sense of identity is what? All of them, as they relate to me, I reciprocate accordingly. So when he's engaged in Leela with his devotees, the sense of love that's exchanged with his devotees can change his identity. Abhimana. God's still God, but he's reciprocating and he has a different sense of who he is based on who's loving him in the way that he's being loved at that time. This being the case, this is where this comes into play, a different sense of aesthetic relish, rasa, is awakened in each prakash different manifestation of the Lord as a result of the particular sequence of pastimes in the different places. I'll end with that. Thank you so much.